For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Here for one of our favorite shows of the year because we're going to go over the Ravens draft pick, Picks and a lot of what happened during this draft in the subtext. And here to join us is one of the best people for that, for anything, for any project. <laughs> Sarah, Allison. Sarah, how you doing? Ken, it's like Christmas morning over here, the, or the you day after Christmas. I mean, that's the way it is for all NFL teams, but especially the Ravens, where the draft is the lifeblood of the organization. So uh, this is just good times right now. Yes, this draft had it all. It had big surprises. You want yeah. that on Christmas Day. It had uh, tremendous value. It had uh, subtext in some of this, you know, what was going on with Lam- with Lamar and Hollywood and, the, you know, the trade yeah. and whatnot. We're going to get to all that. Uh, and then it had just some individual outstanding players, uh, most of whom address some need, others of whom don't address a need necessarily, but they're great players. And we're well, thrilled out. I think, Ken, that um... – He's only got, let's see, 19, 20, 21, 22. So this is Eric DeCosta's fourth draft. Yep. So um, four players in the top 40. Uh, probably by 2023, you'd expect those four to be starters. And if he hit on one or two more, this has a chance to be Eric DeCosta's best draft. Oh, I think it would be if, if all those conditions were met, certainly. It, it still probably wouldn't match the 2018 draft, but, uh, but right. it would be a great one. Yeah, uh, it's, not, it's hard to beat that one. And yeah, that's, not, that was lot, as he's last, last one, but let's not pretend that Eric didn't have 
you know, a hand, a but it was definitely, it. Yeah. it was, it was Aussies though. Yeah. Uh, just 12 picks and nine of them became NFL starters. That's just incredible yeah. <laughs> yeah. to do that. All right. So let's talk about this. So we want to, want to first start with some, just some high level notes on this draft. Uh, you know, some thoughts I had is that the Ravens really let the board come to them. Yeah. And I love it when I see the Ravens drafting this way, they, uh, you know, it's, it wasn't about necessarily going all with need. It certainly was more about value in those, with those early selections. Yeah, I mean, that was from the very first pick that it was like Ravens preach best player available. And that's exactly what the Ravens did with Kyle Hamilton. They already have two starters and uh, solid starters. You've got Chuck, who's already wearing the green dot. He's probably the smartest guy on defense. Uh, then you get Marcus Williams, who is a true free safety. Mm-hmm. So the Ravens are set. So when you get to 14, nobody's quite thinking – Hamilton because they feel set there and it's like nope nope let me show you that I'm Ozzy's protege and I'm going to take best player available Kyle Hamilton is a top five player even John Harbaugh said when he came in for a pre-draft visit he's like hey it's nice to meet you but why are you here <laughs> like yeah, not we're not going to know each other after this so they set the they set that tone right away that we're going best player available and that's why you kept seeing value throughout the draft so my pre-draft thought specifically on Hamilton was Dream on, he'll be go- he'll be long gone by the time the Ravens <laughs> select. Uh, nice. The thing, the thing I love about Hamilton is the Derwin James comp. So in 2018, mm. for anyone who has not listened to the show before, has been in a cave and doesn't know how I feel about passing over Derwin James for what eventually became Hayden Hurst and, and a bunch of other draft capital in 2018, uh, the Ravens had the 16th overall pick. Uh, Derwin James, a, a another incredible, versatile talent, very similar to Hamilton, maybe the most similar player uh, there is to Hamilton in terms of a, a, you know, a big safety who can rush the passer, who can, who can press a tight end, who mm. can do a lot of things for you in coverage underneath or over the top. And uh, the Ravens could have built their defense around him. Uh, they traded the pick and they got okay value for it, but they traded the pick and then they, and then they ended up uh, trading it once more, getting Hurst, piling up another additional draft capital that helped them draft some good players in that 18 draft. So we're not going to say that the draft was a failure. Just that first pick was the wrong pick and, uh, and giving up on James, unfortunately, uh, uh, a big mistake. But anyway, the, the Hamilton pick, a reversal of that. They've taken the player who didn't exactly fit their needs at the time, but you know was a talent that they can build their, their defense around. And I think it's going to be very exciting. We're already excited about what Mike McDonald might do differently with this defense, but now what he'll do with Hamilton. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think where I get the most excited is just when we talk about tight end coverage, because I feel like the Ravens have had issues there for you, even with, with Mosley, who's a a pro bowl running back. uh, Even with him, the Ravens have had a very hard time covering uh, tight ends. So having him there already makes me happy. Uh, but to your point, uh, the Ravens in 2019, a lot of this draft reminds me like feeling like we might go be, be going back to 2019. But part of that is those three um, safety looks, um, which oh, yeah. we're going to see a lot more of. I can't remember the exact. I can't remember if it was like a fourth or a third of the time they had three safety looks in 2019. 40, Do you remember the stat? Oh, it's even more than I thought. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So 42%. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Circumstances kind of have to conspire for that to occur. The Ravens had a lot of big leads that year. Uh, when you have a big lead, you can just say, I dare you to, to run the ball. And, uh, you know, at the end of the half, if the other team has the ball, I dare you to run the ball. So you have some, you have some opportunities to, to pile up dime snaps. But the Ravens are going to – you're going to see a lot of three safety looks. 
Uh, we'll see a lot more big nickel than we've seen before, which is a new opportunity to kind of add to that. And by the way, Sarah, I'm not including those, which were 4.7% of snaps, I believe, in, in 2019 also. So that number would be up in the high 40s if you include that. And and I'm also including quarter in that in the 42% number. Those are play, uh, uh, plays with, with seven defensive backs. And by the way, I think we'll see some of that this year. Uh, yeah. I don't want to go too deep into all of the things because we have an entire another pod yeah. that discusses yeah. exactly that. So I'll point to that. But I'm very excited about what Hamilton brings in terms of flexibility. Well, I just think summing it up, like you said, a Derwin, Derwin James comp, he can do a little of everything. Uh, I'm not, he makes me less nervous about uh, inside linebacker, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You, you mean, guys, safeties can play at Mike, Dime, Nickel, as you said. Yep. Uh, he's going to be very exciting. Yeah, I mean, that, we won't talk too much, but I, I can't without not address this. This is going to be a huge addition for the Ravens' Ravens pass defense for exactly the reason Sarah's laid out here, is that you can take your mic off the field and your will off the field, both of the inside linebackers who have been um, ball magnets in a bad way. The ball has been finding them in coverage uh, for yeah. these last couple of years in some in some ways that are just awful. So, uh, you know, one of the guys who's affected by this, you know, in a way in, this, in terms of his career is Patrick Queen. Because he's he's a will linebacker right now. It looks like I don't know whether they're going to go and, and go back to trying him at Mike or moving him back to the Mike role on third down. But he'll be impacted. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. So to continue on, uh, then the Ravens, uh, you know, didn't have a pick until pick number forty-five. We thought. Yeah. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, we notice on the TV that Baltimore is on the clock at number twenty-three, and. Uh, the trade was announced uh, for Marquise Brown. I, I, there's a lot of subtext that went on in between those picks. But uh, obviously, I think the, what the trade had been worked out earlier, you pointed out that he was already out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was already in Arizona, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 100%. So obviously, this um, trade has been in the works for a little while. Uh, Marquise Brown, according to Eric DaCosta, asked for the trade at the end of the season. Marquise Brown himself said he was thinking about asking for one at the end of the 2020 season. So this is a long time coming. Of course, Lamar Jackson knew. If you know their relationship, when you were reading those tweets from Lamar Jackson, if you know their relationship, to me, I had already ruled out that he was surprised. There's no way he was surprised. They're like with each other all the time. You don't think he knows how Marquise Brown feels or what he's asking or this and that. Plus on top of it, the Ravens, are very open in their communication with with Lamar. Of course, he knew. To me, he was always expressing disappointment about losing his best friend. I'm okay with that. Um, at the same time, um, I think that um, any player, including Lamar, if you're going to tweet draft night, just know you're not the average fan. You're part of the face of the franchise. So express that disappointment and try not to leave so much vagary for the, the people who don't know you and don't know your relationship with Marquise. And, and in some ways, don't even know the situation. So when we see that first right. WTF from yeah. Lamar, how did you interpret that? Because that's one of the interesting subtext components of this night. Yeah. So the WTF, again, like I said, never entered my mind that he was surprised about the trade. The WTF never entered my mind that he was upset about Linderbaum because, again, mm-hmm. I know Lamar. He's a team guy. He would never diss one of his teammates, especially one coming in, especially his center. I didn't know what WTF was. The only theory that I've heard that makes sense to me 
is uh, maybe he was surprised that Marquise was already in Arizona because the WTF came out at the same time that that was kind of put out there. Uh, it could also be that he's just like, I mean, he retweeted a guy that said, what the effing F, bro? How did you trade Marquise? And he knew about it. So it just might be his way of still expressing disappointment, you know? Um, one thing I've learned is it's really hard to interpret Lamar Jackson. And yep. so, uh, I'm, I'm open to a lot of things, but there are a few things I do know. And I knew what to rule out. I, I did have another theory on this. I, my theory is that they talked to Jackson about it ahead of time. They said, Hey, look, Marquise wants out. We're sorry about this, but we're, we're not gonna be able to pass off the trade value from Arizona. We think it's a good move. The team's won and he wins personally. And, you know, hopefully make a piece with us and we'll hopefully we'll get you another receiving asset in the draft. And then it came to number 14, but for whatever reason, and it didn't have to, I don't think it was necessarily that the information got out, although Marquise is on a plane, you don't know who he's talking to, you know, who he might be texting during that time. He, 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 the information easily could have been out that the Ravens were, had traded Marquise Brown, and that might have helped set that run on wide receivers that occurred between 8 and, th- and 12. There are four taken in five picks between 8 and 12. And that was very clearly the top tier of the draft. I think it's possible the Ravens were going after a wide receiver originally at number 14. And, I, I think and, I think it's more than possible. I think that's yeah. what was going down, Ken. I think that after listening to Eric DaCosta, um, he laid a lot of clues down that kind of let you be able to put the puzzle pieces together. Number one, um, he said that there was a reason why he didn't want to announce it until the time that he did, which was right after number 14. It wasn't very long after. Okay. Then he also said after the, at the end of the draft, he was asked, why didn't you draft a wide receiver? And he said, it wasn't for a lack of trying. We found out through Peter King's story this morning that the Ravens were going to uh, draft Calvin Austin in the fourth mm-hmm. round Steelers beat him to it, but they risked it. I don't know how much they really liked him. They risked it because they took the punter and said, we'll talk about the punter later. Um, I'm, I know a lot of Ravens fans don't like the idea that they took a punter in front of a wide receiver mm-hmm. in the fourth round. I couldn't care less. The Ravens have a ton of mid round, young mid round receivers. I'm not so, Hey, maybe I'll, I'll eat my words. Uh, maybe he'll go on and be the star for the Steelers, but I wasn't rooting for a fourth round wide receiver. That's not what the Ravens need um, to, 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 to replace Marquise Brown. So, but, but then he said it wasn't for lack of trying. And then he said, I've never heard him say this before. He said, I'll be honest. This class wasn't very good compared to some other classes. Mm -hmm. He wasn't in love with the depth. So I... At at wide receiver specifically. At wide receiver, yeah. Not at the other positions. Obviously, the third and fourth round were supposed to be money at other positions. But at wide receiver, he did not like the wide receiver class or the depth there. So I 100% think that he didn't want other teams to know that wide receiver was a massive need for him. And he was hoping that there wouldn't be a run. Meanwhile, ironically, us and all Ravens fans are rooting for a wide receiver run because yeah. we don't realize that it's a need. And yeah. we're like, this is going to push somebody else back. The Ravens are going to get somebody. And they did. They got Kyle Hamilton. So we were like cheering on. Little did we know the Ravens were probably doing the opposite. And so he said, he goes, we, it wasn't for a lack of effort. We try to get a wide receiver. He goes, there was a run there. And, um, and so he pivoted and he pivoted nicely. So here's my thing about it. Um, Ken, I think, and I know that, you know, the Ravens got tremendous value from that trade Mm -hmm. to, to have a 2019 pick where he was number 23 and you get another one is phenomenal. 
It's I have a reservation, though, but I'll let you give your comment. I mean, I'll just say just briefly in terms of the uh, the value, 760-point pick they picked up. They, they traded a 100-point pick. So the net value is 660. That's the equivalent of the 28th pick in the draft by the JJ chart. Now, even if you believe in flatter valuations, that's an unreal return on a guy who has one and a half cheap years remaining. So he has, mm-hmm. a, he has one cheap year, and then he has a, a, a year at the 50-year option. So I call it one and a half cheap. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's an unbelievable return for that kind of a player. And and other there's only really been one other comp in NFL history that really kind of meets it in terms of ridiculous value being exchanged for such a receiver. Brandon Cooks was traded in 2017 to the Patriots. He had a big year there, but uh, the Patriots traded the 32nd overall pick And there was some other value exchange, too, in terms of exchange of fourth round picks, but very similar in terms of total value. The Saints ended up getting Ryan Ramzik in that trade. He's been an unbelievably good tackle for five Mm. years for them. Uh, You know, generally speaking, you acquire the pick in this situation and get a starter. You win big. Right. Right. No. Yeah, I I think that that was I mean, that's how you just keep reloading. Like you use a first round receiver for three years and then you get another first rounder. And in Eric's mind, he was hoping he and I think this is my speculation. I think in Eric's mind, he thought he had a chance of getting another first round receiver, but maybe even better at number 14. Mm -hmm. Board didn't fall that way. I mean, he said and he says it every year. He's receivers go so early, many cases around earlier than where they even have them ranked. So the question is, is do you want the Ravens to reach and pass up on tremendous value elsewhere? I mean, it's just a constant balancing act. So um, now here's, so I'm, I'm great with the trade. I'm fine with the trade. Holly didn't want to be here. We've all saw signs that he was unhappy. Um, I think Hollywood up to this point, had a chance of becoming the best drafted Ravens receiver, surpassing just Torrey Smith, basically, yeah. is the list. Um, but I love that trade, and I love the value. Having said that, what makes me nervous is I also said DaCosta got good value from a trade with Hurst. Not phenomenal, but but good value, I felt mm-hmm. like, and Dixon came out of that. Glad to have Dixon today. And I also thought he got pretty good value out of uh, Orlando Brown, okay? And, again, that's a situation where they wanted to leave. Uh, the Ravens weren't going to, you know, pay him anyway. And now the Ravens got Odafe Owe out of that. So I'm happy to have Dixon and Odafe Owe really happy about those trades because you weren't going to pay him anyway. The problem is, is Eric hasn't replaced those type of players adequately and immediately enough to help uh, Lamar at those positions. So the Ravens suffered at tackle. The Ravens haven't been back to the tight end, you know, two, two tight end looks the way they did in 2019 with those guys or even more three. with, with, yeah. yeah, three. Yeah. And so like, again, I love the value. I love the trade, but he, I don't want Eric to wait a year or two to replace Marquise. You can't do that to Lamar in my view. Well, I, I think that's that's reasonable, and I think they're going to they're going to try and do something on the market. Yeah. I just want to want to point out. You, uh, you said Dixon. I think you mean Dobbins is the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dixon. Sorry, I said Dixon. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. J.K. Dobbins and J.K. Yeah. Dobbins. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see the value the Ravens got in return on those trades. Somebody asked me a good question today, which I which I thought was reasonable. They said, um, "Would you have made that trade if the Cardinals came to you and?" And Marquise had not asked for the trade. And from a value perspective, no freaking doubt about it. It's a killer Mm. trade from that perspective. But I'm not going to make that trade without asking 
first of all, Hollywood, but also Lamar, if yeah. they're okay with it. Because if, if you do that, then that, then you might break up the uh, Batman and Robin group there. Right, right. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's keep this moving along. We, we, we move along. They get to 23. So another interesting point. And the Ravens had a chance to draft Kair Elam, who's one of the top cornerbacks in this draft. So Andrew Booth was still on the board, too. He fell into the second round on all sorts of injury concerns. Uh, um, reasonably or not, we can, we can discuss that. But, but Kair Elam was available. He was, he was thought highly of, and the Bills ended up selecting him when the Ravens traded him the pick at 23. Bumped down two spots, got another fourth which is they got decent value, good value, I'd say, in, in terms of J.J. by trading down there and, and, uh, and, and picked up their sixth, fourth-round pick. Then they go ahead and they use that 25 to pick Tyler Lindebaum. Now, the reason I take a little bit of time to talk about Kair Elam there and that he's the guy is that the Ravens had a, a big need at corner. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their question at center was not as pressing because McCary is signed. He's a guy who has played center before for the Ravens, done a not terrible job, and certainly did fine at right tackle in terms of, of the, his play last year. Not exceptional, but but okay. And you know they you could probably play there again. Uh, maybe they want him for versatility, but it seemed like the bigger need was cornerback. Well, so that's a good question. Okay, so there obviously was a need at cornerback. I'm not going to deny that. But I do feel like it's been slightly exaggerated. Uh, I mean, listen, injuries can happen again at any time. They could happen at center. I mean, they can happen everywhere. And so that said, it does seem like there's always a run on injuries at cornerback. But uh, listen, Marcus Marcus Peters, from what I understand, is good to go. Um, And he's going to be ready day one training camp. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, it was a shoulder, you know, it wasn't like, you know, a knee or Achilles or anything like that. He's going to be good to go. Um, so you've got those two guys and then, and now you have extra safeties. I mean, phenomenal safety. So it certainly was a need. Was it bigger than center? Listen, I have been on team build a, a wall around Lamar Jackson since the end of the season, maybe earlier. And, um, I just keep having flashbacks to that Buffalo Bills game, the playoff game, snaps going over his head, uh, and McCarry was part of that. Um, I have him running for his life from pressure up the middle. I think it's been the same thing. I have loved what the Ravens have done with this offensive line. I honestly couldn't ask for more with insurance from from insurance from from Ronnie. Ronnie, I mean, you've got Daniel now. We'll get to him. Falele, you've got Juwan James. You've got Morgan Moses, and then and then last now you've got McCarry who could be lose, used there too. I know that's not our first option for me either. You or me, um, Ken, mm-hmm. but it's there. Then you add Linderbaum, which does free up McCarry a little bit more and gives you, I don't know, the floor. Five years, five year starter, ceiling, all pro. That's that's what we're talking about here. I want Lamar back there, more comfortable. It's this offense now that dictates it. It helps out on the. It helps the defense be better. It's the offense, and nothing helps Lamar more. Think about his targets in 2019. Willie Sneed, uh, Sneed, I mean, uh, was it who else was there at the time? All of these are, are, Rob, are yeah. accompanied by a sneer since you're not getting the video. Yeah, you did. Sorry, you can't see me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about a sneer. I just, whatever. But, uh, uh, but he, I mean, that's what's going to help Lamar. So 
is it a, I, I guess you could argue corner was a bigger need, but this greatly bigger need, I'm not buying it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through what Tyler Lindebaum's strengths are, what, what he is right. as a player. Then we're going to come back to say, hey, here's an alternative, because I think there was a legitimate alternative for the Ravens. So uh, Lindebaum, 62302. Small for a center. He actually bulked up a little bit to get the 302 at the combine uh, and, and his pro day, which is more you think, because he didn't run at the combine. And he did run a 503 on 411 pro, on his 411 pro day, which is much significantly slower than he had been at, on his uh, uh, projected four. So uh, it, not probably where you want. There's two things about that. One is when I see a player like that, who all players try and put on more weight and maintain all their athleticism. Virtually any position in football, you're told to do that. So if you can, if you can keep your speed and carry 10 more pounds, fantastic. If you can keep almost all your speed and carry 10 more pounds, fantastic. But effectively, you're trying to find a point on the efficient frontier of weight and athleticism. Okay. And, and Linderbaum seems to be a guy who may have to give up too much of his quickness to add the weight he's going to need at the NFL level. So we'll see how that works out. Well, real quick, you don't think coming off a foot injury hurt his, his testing? Don't know. It's possible, and I, I'd love that to be the case. Love that I, to I be mean, the case. to me, I would go there before I would say, oh, well, he's athletic. I, I mean, this dude is an athlete to say that. I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. But, okay, this both question possible. goes to anyone. This question yeah, yeah, goes yeah. to anyone who picks up weight. The guy, the other guy in the, uh, who picked up 26 pounds in order to uh, solidify his pro stock was the Memphis guard, um, oh, Dylan Parham. And, and mm-hmm. so he listed 285 in the Memphis media guide, 311 on, at the combine and, and his pro day. And he didn't lose a lot of athleticism. He still was pretty quick. Uh, with that. And then I see a guy, a guy like Linderbaum pick up, you know, seven pounds or whatever. You're, you're probably right. It, it could be some lingering component of the foot injury, which, by the way, I'm not too keen on either. But yeah. it could be that. But yeah. let's talk about yeah. what's good about Tyler, because okay. he uh, does not have good length. So we, so that we got to come back to that cat like quickness. Uh, you see this on, on tape right away is his ability to switch his blocking assignment. So he'll be on a lot of double teams in the middle. They'll be able to pick up stunts and blitzes very effectively. You can see that on tape. Uh, yep. He'll use that quickness out front in the screen game. So yep. the Linderbaum, if, we, if we do screens, but well, the Linderbaum-Beatty <laughs> combination is a terrific, exciting combination of players. So oftentimes you think, well, this player can improve the screen game or this way, but a combination of players who both do it, that mm-hmm. could really be a, a difference maker. So the Ravens have made a choice to generally be uh, very large and bulky at the line of scrimmage, which has served them well, certainly in 2019 and 20, in terms of having a historic run offense. But they are a, a set of elephants, and it's very hard for them to get out in space without getting very lungy and and uh, not effective in terms of the screen game. So it's it's a trade off again. I like their what they did. I think it works for Jackson to win the matchups of the line of scrimmage and and uh, create second level first contact opportunities for the backs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Let's get some more running back screens <laughs> or at least some. And uh, I'm excited to see him pulling Ken. This is a pulling, yeah. uh, you know, offensive line. And I mean, he's going to be phenomenal in that type of situation. Yeah. And, and Ravens pull their centers more than just about anybody else. Cause they do it as part of the counter play. So mm-hmm. when they, when they pull, they pull from tacker and either guard or center based on the alignment of the defense. So they'll, they will uh, do that. They'll have the center pulling five, six times a game often, uh, which is a lot more than other teams do. It's, it's, it's actually fairly rare that you, you, you pull your center along the, uh, around the rest of the league. 
Uh, talk about some other good Linderbaum traits, the 713-3 cone. That's that's really good. I mean, that's a that's like an edge rusher kind of number and a pretty good edge rusher at 713. It's not quite a cornerback number, uh, although the Ravens drafted a couple corners who were in that range. Um, he had 24 bench reps. That's not impressive. Uh, he has very short arms, which is the biggest thing about him. I'm going to say this about Tyler Linderbaum. His success in the NFL is all going to be based on this one thing. His, his wrestling background had, had created for him a number of um, workarounds for dealing with length issues. Okay, so mm-hmm. he's, he was mm-hmm. on the inside able to hand fight and do what he can. It's also a position that, that can be kind of forgiving for arm like that center. So, it's, it, it, you know, McCary is not, not much longer than, than he is. But anyway, uh, he's, he's got very short arms at 31 and 1 8 inches. I mean, it's almost like historically short for, for alignment. In any case, if he can maintain the same ability he had in college to work through those deficiencies in terms of length, that his hand fighting skills still have the same effectiveness. Kelly Gregg, it worked for. Marshall Yonda, it worked for. Many, many other names not mentioned here. It is not. And it's those many, many others that are the ones I'm concerned about because they create the X to one or X to two relationship of how often that really works. Yeah, and I mean, I Eric DaCosta said it at the uh, at the press conference after drafting him is um, he had requoted I think it was ESPN that said if he had uh, arms that were like a half inch longer and I can't remember a weight that was you know whatever he was like he would have been a top five a top five pick because then you would have combined um, the performance the film which is phenomenal right. with the traits. And so it's just interesting to me because, Ken, I listened to uh, – listen, I, I haven't watched any of Linderbaum's tape. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not a scout. And so, you know, it's different from what you and, you know, like Cole Jackson. It's like all these local guys are nervous about him. And then I listen to these national scouts and, and, and the Ravens. And they rave about him. And so here I am not watching the tape and I'm like caught between the two. Let me say this. This is kind of where I'm at with it. So obviously I feel like there's been a ton of stock about that. He did a lot of outside outside zone and, and he's coming here to do gap and how it won't translate and this and that. I do feel like that has been overblown. And I think that what the Ravens see, and here's the thing, if this were the Ravens, trying to project what a wide receiver could be. And everybody's like, what? That's not what we see on tape. How are you going to do this? Then I'd be nervous. But the Ravens have a track record of not only drafting fantastic offensive linemen, but also projecting different positions for them. So if they can project, um, you know, Phillips moving to guard, or if they can project, you know, whatever, Marshall Yonda or all this type of stuff, if they can project that, I feel confident that they can project that a center can overcome a half inch too short arms or that a center can be fine in different blocking schemes. And then I trust that these scouts, I mean, consensus are like pro bowler right here, not just the best center, but the best center by far in this class and not just in this class, one of the best that we've seen in years coming out. So I'm very inclined to feel good about all of those things. I, I, 
appreciate the enthusiasm and the passion always. I would be very careful about what the Ravens are saying. About, of course, the Ravens are never going to say anything negative about two things coming oh, out yeah. of the draft. Number one is they drafted a player, so they love him, and, they, and they're going to they're going to say the most about him. Second, but it's all, less about what they're saying; it's more about that they picked him and they have a oh, history. Yeah. That yes, is, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the other thing is injuries, and we're going to get to this t- talking about Ajabo and other players. But um, there's two reasons why. You, you are never anything but super optimistic from an injury perspective. And one is because you're always painting the brightest picture and you, and you want the uh, player to feel good about that. But also you're, also you're you're setting kind of a bar of expectation for the player. But if you think about all the times that Harbaugh's told you anything at the podium or the Ravens have ever talked about the injury uh, situation for a player, it has never worked out better than what they've said. It's always been that or much worse or somewhat worse. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So anyway, uh, anything more about Linderbaum I want to say. Uh, I think he, is, he, he will have a, a lot of trouble, and this will be one of the key points in terms of his length, about not being able to not allow first contact to be dictated against him in pass rushing situations. And it's his pass blocking, the run blocking, hey, zone gap, well, you want to talk about all that? I think it is bullshit, like Sarah said, because I think – you scheme differently when you're a Baltimore, when you're in Baltimore because it's it's usually always double teams for the center and they use their motion on tight ends and fullbacks more than any other team in the league to try and get double teams on the inside. You know, they pull the center a lot. It's a whole bunch of different things. So it's not a straight gap or zone scheme. It's not, you know, even gap or zone blocks by play in the same way. They use a lot of angular blocking when they pull people on the counter where Linderbaum's going to have to take a very flat angle to the side where the counter comes from. It, it's a lot of different things. So I'm not really concerned about his run blocking. I think he'll do very well there. It's the pass blocking. It's when he's, when he's caught having to block a guy one-on-one who has more length and how that affects him at this level and whether or not it gets it. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my one uh, thing I'm going to be watching for him. To, yeah. To I mean, for out. him, it's going to obviously the size is a disadvantage there. And for him, it's going to be about, maneuvering it's going to be about using leverage it's going to be about angles it's going to be all that kind of stuff uh and to date he's been able to overcome in college that the size by doing those types of things and can he do it in the pros ravens think so enough to give him number 25 and the rest of us will be watching to see if they were right (laughs) (laughs) well there you go all right so uh uh, i did think uh too rich for 14 unlikely to last to 45 was my pre-draft thought on him uh, no doubt the best center in this draft. Actually, no, there was doubt because I thought Zion Johnson was probably the best center in this draft. That uh, he's, a, he's a guy who played guard in college at Boston College. Fantastic player. Uh, I, I thought he would have been a uh, a better center, but he'd already been taken by the time Linderbaum was up at 25, I believe. So uh, we will pass that. David Ajabo uh, at 45. So now anything else happened in terms of high-level things? They didn't really – make any look like they would trade up. Uh, I know guys, a bunch of guys on the show thought Travis Jones was undervalued at 45. I actually thought he, he was kind of overvalued there, that he might have dropped to 55 and the Ravens could have had him. Uh, but a lot of people were saying trade up and get and get Jones or trade up and get one of the edge rushers. Uh, Boye Mafe, uh, who, who was another one that was good in there. Ebiketti would, would have been good in Ebiketti. Um But anyway, they, they waited to 45 and they take David Ajabo, of course, coming off the big pro day injury. Yeah, I, I I think potentially they didn't feel like they needed to trade up 
because I think Ajabo may have been their guy. Uh, I remember back to like the pre-draft conference. And again, you can't put too much weight in what they say, but uh, somebody had asked about David Ajabo's injury and you could just see how like Eric was just sad. And he's like, that hurts. That hurts David. That hurts this draft class that, you know, and it just seemed like at that time they were like, man, they would have taken him at 14 knowing what they know about him from like McDonald. It just, you know, it just makes so much sense. He's a high school classmate of, of uh, Odafe Owe and, and they just, you don't get a better scouting report than the actual DC, like the defensive coordinator that, that brings him out. So my guess is that he was just their guy and that they love him so much that they were willing to sacrifice at least the first half of the season, maybe more. Um, and, and so, you know, a little bit of patience in this case may pay off big time by the time 2023 comes around. It uh, doesn't help as much immediately. The Ravens are going to have to sign um, another veteran for sure. Um, but I think that in this case, it's like, let's be patient because this was a maybe top 15 talent that we're getting at 45. Okay. So where do you want to start on this? The glass is half full or half empty on this? No, good news or bad news? <laughs> I always go bad news first. I always right, like well, to end on an optimistic note. We, we'll do that. We'll end right. on the optimistic note here. So the first thing I'll just say is ex- addressing exactly what you're saying, whether it's half a year or or the full year is lost this year, I, I'm not sure that matters that much because I think the half year production is not going to be at a typical what we would hope to get from David Ajabo for, for a couple of reasons I'm going to get to. So I think you lose one year out of his uh, four-year contract initially, mm-hmm. which is, which is enormous. I mean, that mm-hmm. is, that is a huge sacrifice to make and not only from a, from a player level, but also from the development level, because he's going to be rehabbing. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to be able to learn his craft as a pass rusher. So let's say they bring back Justin Houston to play another year, which that would yeah. be a perfectly reasonable thing. Makes great a lot coach, of sense. Yeah. Great coach for a job. If he can learn how to hand fight there, terrific. If he, but I think there's certain things he's not going to be able to relearn again at the NFL level, like get off and some of the things about firsthand placement coming off um, are, are going to be more difficult for him to learn um, while he is rehabbing the Achilles. So I think, you know, you just, I, I can't imagine somebody using their explosiveness doing that. I also am very concerned that given the guy's calling card was all about explosiveness and get off. In fact, it's really the only part of his game that's, that's truly incredible. Um, I I am concerned that the Achilles may not fully heal and he won't have this. He won't have that same kind of explosiveness that he had before. Now, it's not all about, you know, his his ankles, what he does on those plays. But but it is something guys, extremely unpolished pass rusher in terms of what he brings to the table. So losing a year of development is huge. I mean, Adafi Owe took big steps in his. I mean, we saw right away in terms of how much he grew. Ajabo, I hope he has something. Being a film junkie, being a guy who works with somebody who, who gives him that positional skill set to hand fight and can, can, can catch up on what he hasn't done in his high school time or in his college time to date that, that's, that's basically put him behind the curve. And the last guy that we said this about, Patrick Queen, we made all kinds of excuses about him. Yeah, he hasn't played. He's just started playing inside linebacker. Oh, no, we got to have time. That was a COVID offseason. He didn't have time to, to, to you know, have mini camp and have normal things. I mean, it, it just it's whether or not that was true. The Ravens didn't get value for Patrick Queen. 
Mm. We, can, we can agree on that now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and and the, the development problems uh, were very serious. I mean, you know, it, it, with Ajabo, I think I think we have the you know, that's the that's the glasses half empty component of what who David Jabo is. Yeah, well, I think most of that is fair. I mean, um, I like for me, part of people always say I'm optimistic. Part of my optimism is I keep expectations low, like they expect the worst. And then if I get better, then I'm good. So in my mind, David Ojabo is redshirting this year. And if he happens to come in later, then great. Like any experience that we that he can get or any situational pass rush situations that they may put him in at the end of the year, then great. That's like experience that, that he can get. And if he can, you know, get a couple of sacks in there and all that, then, then that would be wonderful. But in my mind, my expectation is low. This is a red shirt year. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of development, I guess in terms of the injury, I, I, I mean, you, again, to me, like football is full. It's a, it's a 100% injury rate. Right. And so there are some injuries that are definitely worse than others, um, but it's a 100% rate. So when you say, like, I'm concerned about will he come back the same with an Achilles, well, sure, that's, that's everybody. And his injury happened to come right before the draft. What you like, I mean, the, the, the silver lining is that he's young. And the Ravens have had some experience with rehabbing Achilles and they have doctors that have that and trainers that have that, that. And so maybe there's a little bit more optimism from their end. Like I said, I'm still thinking of a red shirt year. And I think what definitely 100% helps is that everything you're talking about is true. And at least what makes it better, like I said, he's young. So maybe he can come back from the injury. And the second thing that makes it better is that he's repaired with his defensive coordinator. His defensive coordinator is what brought out his standout college year. His defensive coordinator knows what situations to put him in. And then on David's part, he's not going to be the typical rookie that is also trying to learn this new defense. He knows this defense. He's played in this defense. So he knows it. Mike knows him. And so when it does come time to put him in, you know that there's not a better situation that he could have been in to be put in the right place as he comes, comes to the game late. They'll be, he'll be used situationally for starters. Mm. I mean, he's not a, he's not an obvious great run defender. So I think he'll be a pass rush specialist that makes it easier to find those spots. Like you're talking about for McDonald to say, Hey, we want you in on third down. We want you positioned here, whether that's wide or, or, or near, however they want to line them up. They've, they've got ways to do it. Um, yeah, there's, there's things to like about him physically. Certainly got good length. Uh, he, he could, you know, potentially be a Sam someday with his kind of speed, which would be terrific. You, you almost never know, by the way, at the college level, whether somebody's going to be a Sam linebacker or somebody can really drop the cover effectively because it's all trait. It has to be traits based and they almost never spend any actual time in college dropping to cover. So it, it's, it's very different. I mean, you can have great traits and, and be a lousy cornerback. So you could definitely have great traits and be a lousy sound linebacker. Uh, you know, I, I think there are things to like. I think it is an enormous swing, which is good in terms of getting a top-level player. But to speak to your point of, of keeping expectations at a reasonable level with the loss of a year of development and the loss of a year of play, probably. Okay. I would look at this and say he might end up being Paul Kruger as a guy who gives the Ravens one and a half really good years as a pass rusher. You know, Paul Kruger took him to the Super Bowl or helped them get there in 2012 with the 12th And Paul was a second rounder, right? Second round pick also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Couldn't get on the field as a rookie because he, because he wasn't playing special teams and the Ravens had a bunch of edges. 
So yeah. he didn't he didn't get on the field then. Uh, made it finally as a situational pass rusher. That was a little slow to develop, you know, in terms of of uh, what he did. But he did eventually get there and uh, and was a good player. And I think if that's your expectation of a Jabo, I think you probably get uh, uh, get what you want out of this. If you're expecting him to beat Terrell Suggs, because hey. He should have been drafted up there in the same neighborhood where Suggs was because if that's who he was as a pass rusher, I think you might be disappointed by this pick. I think there's a, there's there's going to be a, it's going to be difficult for the Ravens to um, make sure of his value in time to sign him to a long term deal. If they do, it'll be a big win, obviously. I definitely see the Paul Kruger comparison. Um, what I don't know, I feel like the development stuff, like we talked about Patrick Queen and even. Kruger, there's something mentally that has to click with guys because it's not because obviously Patrick Queen has all the tools, the physical tools. Uh, Kru, Kru, I always remember Paul kind of being that way. Something needed to click or whatever. So to me, it's I don't know David Ojabo well enough to know those mental traits. Do you know what I mean? Is he, mm-hmm. is, is, is he somebody that it will just like it just comes on sooner? So could it go from one and a half years of good production to two and a half. Sure. Um, you know what I mean? Because like I said, this year, whatever we get out of them, if anything, that's just cherry. Gravy. You know, that's, that's great. There we go. Great. The gravy is the word I was looking for. That's gravy. So then if he comes back in 2023 as like really his rookie year, and then could he come on sooner than that? Maybe, maybe because he had a little bit of experience in that first year and just a little bit would help. Uh, so I don't know. I would like to, I would like to see it pushed to two and a half. That would be more, what I would like to see for it being the number 45 pick. Well, if he gets the, the good news is if he gets pushed to two and a half good years, then the Ravens will have a real chance to resign him. They, they were already in a position where there was no hope to get Kruger for a couple of reasons. One is Flacco was getting his big deal at that exact time. So that mm. left everybody else without money. And the second thing was that Kruger had not developed at the point where the Ravens could take a chance on him a year early. But if you get two and a half years and it's one and a half by the end of year three, then the Ravens have a chance to work their magic with a fourth year, a player entering year four, as they did with Chuck Clark and Patrick Ricard and other people to, to get a to get a contract signed early. Wouldn't Perhaps the only the only other thing I'm thinking is that um, Odafe. If he's taken off, you know, they're going to be putting, they're going to want to give the money to him. So we'll yeah. see. Obviously, Odafe has five years. So they would both be hitting same free time. agency the same year. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So it's a, that, that would be hard to, to manage to and, pay and both. give the money, pay both. Yeah. They'll have to probably choose. Yeah. Uh, we all hope everyone can be Lamar Jackson in terms of what he does during the offseason. The guy is unbelievable in terms of his work ethic and commitment to the game. I would have never projected it for Jackson. It wasn't obvious to me this was going to occur. Uh, and I don't think it's easy to project it for other players coming out of college because they're so young and it's, you know, they, they've never been faced with this kind of adversity, but Jackson has been a remarkable North star in terms of his seeking positional coaching during the off season. And he's, he's been remarkable at it. And, and, you know, if, if that could translate to anybody else on this team, I would just love it. I don't feel like it's translated to uh, a lot of individual players who've needed it, particularly wide receiver. I don't think we've had we've had good growth in terms of positional coaching on those players. Uh, would be one I of my. Marquise was always ascending. I felt like every year he got better, and I feel like Bateman's been working pretty hard, at least from what, whatever social media tells us. 
Right. We, I, I'm not talking about the workout tapes, you see. And obviously, Marquise did a lot of things to, to, to keep in shape and keep his body right. I'm talking about positional coaching. So I'm talking about a wide receiver going to wide receiver camp and learning how to catch the football differently, learning how to look at his own film and determine, hey, what's going wrong? What do mm-hmm. I need to do? Cornerbacks mm-hmm. figuring how their footwork is getting beat at the top of the rate route by you know, going to Deion Sanders camp. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I want things like that. I, I, you know, and they don't have to work with the greatest guys of all time. They just have to go and find their own guru and find their own way to do it and the way to study their own study themselves and what's going wrong. But, I, I, you know, when I see the, the, the trait of self-congratulation in a player about, yeah, I'm happy this went well, I, I immediately I get turned off by that very quickly. Because you Are you connecting this to David Ajabo? Or no, to... I, I'm, in this case, I'm really thinking of it with Patrick Queen in terms of the self-contrastion. Oh, 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 oh gotcha, uh, gotcha. I'm not connecting this to, to a job on a because I, I don't think we know in a job was case. Yeah, in a I don't know. Situation, sure, he moves forward and he's the he's the guy yeah. who does this. We got to go through these picks a little quicker, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> All right, let's continue on. Now, number seventy-six is Travis Jones out of out of UConn, the defensive tackle slash nose tackle. For my money, uh, might have been. The, the best value pick, probably the second best value pick of this draft, given Hamilton. But fantastic pick. I mean, probably 20 to 25 picks later than I would have expected him to go. Uh, yeah, he I, out of we in a, in a draft where we're touting value, he might have been the best value. Um, and I think he um, compliments well what the Ravens already have in that he brings a little bit more um, pass rush ability mm-hmm. from there in the middle. Um, I'm trying to see, I, I'm looking at your notes. I know I haven't written down in my notes, how many sacks he had over his career. Four, four um, and a half last year. I think four and a half number. last year. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah. It's, it's been a few over, over the time. Uh, but I think it's interesting from him. So he was originally, uh, recruited as an offensive lineman, uh, and then transitioned to uh, nose tackle. Um, you know, so he's got, you know, some athleticism there, definitely some athleticism for the size that he has. I mean, six, four, three, 325. Um, so yeah, so I like that. And so you put him in there, um, with, uh, um, Calais Campbell, what a great guy to learn from for a year. That's, that's awesome. Just as Justin Houston did for Odafe Owe. Um, he compliments obviously what, uh, Pierce Pierce brings, which is more of a run stuffer. Um, so this will be, this will be good. I think the Ravens, just like they've solidified their offensive line, I think that they've solidified their defensive line. Got some youth in there. Uh, it's looking pretty good in there now, I feel like. So the Ravens had to get younger on the defensive line. I really thought mm-hmm. they had to. Last year, uh, Barmore was my guy last year that I thought they, they, they could have easily taken with one of those first two picks that they used on Bateman and Oway. I think you know, the, the Ravens have done well with those picks, but Barmore would have been fine too. Uh, they didn't. They deferred it a year. Getting Travis Jones is amazing coup in a group that is very weak. The defensive line was very weak. They had two guys at the top. They had Wyatt and uh, Jordan Davis. And after that, big, big drop-off. And Travis Jones so clearly in a tier of his own at number three mm-hmm. that, uh, to, to me, there was there was no question about it. To get him at 76, unbelievable. Well, and I feel – and just to add in there, I know we'll move on to the next because we're moving a little bit more quicker now. But to think that – because everybody had projected um, – Jones to the Ravens. No, no, no. Jones is who we got. Why am I forgetting his name now? Jordan the number Davis. one, Jordan Davis. Yeah. To, to think we, there would have been Jordan Davis and then somebody else at 45. I'm just so happy that the Ravens have Kyle Hamilton and Travis Jones on defense yeah. rather than just maybe um, Jordan Davis alone. 
Uh, obviously, he's not Jordan Davis, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good defensive tackle the Ravens got themselves here in the third round. Right. It's, it's interesting because we're going to talk go back to the to the to the pairing at center and corner. But you can you can definitely look at that in terms of the defensive uh, defensive line and defensive backfield, and you can pick a corner and a and a uh, defensive lineman and do it differently, or maybe a safety and a defensive lineman later, which I don't think they would have they would necessarily pulled the trigger on. Uh, Jones played fifty three snaps per game in twenty twenty one. That's a very big deal. That's about seventy percent of the snaps uh, for Connecticut. Uh, that's incredible considering that. Connecticut was terrible, and they and they everybody was game planning against who Travis Jones was because he's the one guy who can wreck your offense. Uh, so to play that many snaps is going to bode very well for how many he can play in the pros. And I think mm. not only will he probably be able to play thirty-five to forty snaps a game, but with the NFL workload, he should really benefit and be able to maintain the pass rush he's shown, the penetration he's shown as a three tech. I love the idea of him playing next to Pierce because. Pierce will take doubles and he'll get the one-on-one opportunities that a three tech is afforded against a guard. And I think that's going to be very fun to watch. Uh, they can even get Campbell on that same line as a five tech. You really have a, a, a powerful line there. So that'll, that'll be, be exciting. Yeah. Well, I just to your point, that was the opposite again of Jordan Davis. Everybody was nervous about his conditioning and how long yes. he could last. And would he be a three down player? Or how long exactly. could he last? That is not a problem with Travis Jones. Yeah. You, you, I, I, yes. Well, you want to talk about yeah. a guy we didn't even get when we, yeah. when we were this far in. But Sarah, and I love talking football. You can hear this exchange <laughs> back and forth. It's very animated and, and it always goes long. Those are the things we can be sure of. Round four, number 110, they take Daniel. Fl- <laughs> now, how have the Ravens been pronouncing this? Because I've got uh, slapped on the wrist about the pronunciation. I, I've been using Falele, but I am told it is Fa'alele, even though I don't, believe he, I don't believe he has the apostrophe in between the two A's at the beginning of his name. I haven't looked up the pronunciation guide yet, but the Ravens always have. And uh, Patrick Gleason always makes sure that we should know the pronunciation guide, but I haven't looked it up yet because everybody and their moms have been saying Falele. Okay. So fa fa uh, lele is that what you said? Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call, call him Daniel for today until I look up that pronunciation. That guy. sounds <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And, and, I, and I do want to get that. But some of the pronunciation guides you can look up a lot of African names in particular, and their pronunciation is way off the mark. It's like somebody is trying to intentionally get people <laughs> to say it wrong. So Otito Obonia was a player that was available for UCLA, and the the pronunciation guide says. Uh, Aban Ia instead of Abonia, so it's just oh. very different. So anyway, in this case, Falele and Falele, I'm sure he's had it mispronounced differently his whole life, and probably has dealt with that kind of thing. Yeah. But Daniel, we're sorry. Six eight, three ninety, thirty five and an eighth inch arms, uh, twenty four bench reps with thirty five and an eighth inch arms, just absolutely outstanding. Much harder to do bench reps when your arms are longer. So he, he I believe he and um, and Linderbaum might have actually had the exact same bench reps. Yep, 24 bench reps each. It's just it's much more impressive when you have 35 and, a, and an eighth inch arms than 31 and an eighth inch arms. So uh, that's a very, very big difference. That's good. That's uh, his, his weight and height is the 96th percentile or higher among of, offensive, <laughs> of, of offensive linemen in height, weight, wingspan, and hand size. Uh, he's the largest largest player in NFL history. Both, uh, in both, I believe, in terms of height at six nine, uh, in just six eight six nine, he's somewhere in there. And at three ninety, they, they had they had a, on draft night. They had a guy who was two pounds lighter was the next heavier who ever has played in the NFL. So, 
there, there's been there's no one like him. And and you know, people will t- will talk about Phil Lodeholt being a, a comp who played for the Vikings for a while. Uh, Falele is a is an athlete. I mean, I'm I look at him. I was about to ask, how do you feel yeah. like he moves with that size? Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing like Haloti Nada again, a guy not quite Nada's athleticism because he was he was in a class of his own, but but he's got a actually legitimate feet. He mirrors pretty well. Uh, it, I think it's reasonable that he could move to the left side. I see, you know, he was all Big Ten, uh, first team all Big Ten in in uh, this past year. Uh, despite you know not playing a lot of football, and what I love about the the upside here is that he's going to really learn how to work his hands like telephone pole jabs uh, from the Ravens' offensive line coaches, and he'll be on. That's an uh, an opportunity for incredible improvement. I mean, he's he's more or less a patty cake, non independent hand usage uh, offensive lineman at this point, and it, it's an opportunity for incredible growth. Oh my gosh. I, 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 I want to see him become the starter in year two. I mean, I just like what, what an amazing feat that would be. Here's a fun story about him is, uh, that John Harbaugh gave at the press conference on Saturday. So John tells the story that he feels like basically Jim discovered him. Cause you know how Jim would do those, um, those satellite camps for Michigan trying to do like recruiting and all that. Jim saw him and was like, Hey, what do you think about playing football? Like Jim was the first one to do it, you know? And then he didn't end up going to Michigan, but John kind of liked the idea that it was maybe Jim who, who had discovered him and, and nudged him into the, into the football direction. But, Oh my gosh, I can't think of a developmental player that I've been this excited about just the, the size he, he gave up. I had it here. He gave up, uh, one sack and two quarterback hits in 301 pass block snaps last season. Yeah, that, that's right not tackle. a developmental player. That's a that's a player who's ready to step in. And if, if wait, Ravens, you think he's ready to step in this year? Well, here's my point: if the Ravens go to camp and Ronnie yeah. is healthy, let's start yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay, and the Ravens otherwise their offensive line is in good shape on the interior, and they're, and they're comfortable with that. And Morgan Moses and he played out, and Morgan Moses doesn't look particularly athletic uh and and daniel flaley does give the job to flaley just just go ahead put put morgan moses in bubble wrap i know you signed him for some money that's all the sunk cost at this point you, yeah. you, you use draft and i don't care athletic. and i don't care because what happened last year bring me all the insurance bring me all the insurance yeah. and if it happens to be that morgan moses was the guy that we didn't need to pay for i don't care right. <laughs> like it, that was the insurance that we needed you got three. You got three players to fill two spots, no matter how you do it. And what they better not do, what I really don't want them to see, is what they did last year with Phillips: is have him start at guard and then lose him to injury when he's one of your tackle backups. So that mm-hmm. would they can't let that happen again. They got well, they have Juwan James on, too. Yeah, they have enough options on the interior though that I think you go ahead and you bubble wrap one tackle. Juwan James may not make the team. I mean, if you, if, right. if in, in all well, depending on how these guys look, yeah. yeah. Come training camp. Yep. So anyway, I, I love what he can do on the down block. I think I pity, I pity the three tech and I don't pity many people on a football field, but I pity the three tech who is blocked straight up by Zeitler and is trying to get a win against him in a, in a run rep and then gets down blocked by Falele from the side. I mean, it's, <laughs> it'd be like trying to try to hold back a car and then getting hit by a bus from the side. It'd just be, it'd, it'd be ridiculous. So yeah. uh, that's going to be fun to watch. And, and the, the Ravens system should benefit him because his level two, level three is where he's really going to be weak in terms of his ability to 
uh, move up and make blocks without lunging and whatnot. But it, he should be able to move up half a level the way Orlando Brown did. And I was going to say it was the player. same thing with Orlando. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then you just have Linderbaum. He'll 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 go up seven layers, okay, yes. and like block seven guys on the way up. <laughs> there you go. He's not the guy who can block everybody, though. I mean, he's, he, he, yeah. as many as many highlights as we have is Linderbaum blocking two people that seem to be out there, which is great. Uh, he can't do that every play. Usually, you you, you plan to block one. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, uh, round four, they got a guy they really liked. And the Peter King article came out and was talking about uh, how much they obviously like Jalen Armour Davis. And they were actually thinking, I, I, I believe, about whether or not Davis or Falele should have been the first right. pick in round four. Yep, yep. Th- that was true, according to his article, for sure. And even before the round started, though, according to Mike, uh, Peter King, Eric DeCosta had said out to the said out loud to the room, "Boy, I'd really like to get you know Davis yeah. right in this round." Yeah, how, how um, cool an article was that? So good that he was allowed that. How cool is it that Ravens gave him that access? You know that you know, and I love Eric DeCosta is much more open than Ozzy was to the media. To the media. Uh, so they gave him that access and you know, trusted that he wasn't going to put out their entire board and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, with Davis, what you like is, you know, traits, right? He's got, mm-hmm. he's got the length and the size that the Ravens really like um, to, to be a physical corner that could play press coverage. Uh, it's cool that, you know, they lose Anthony Avert, who was a fourth round pick out of Alabama and they replace him with a fourth round pick out of Alabama. But, you know, Who's Amar Davis is, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Although Amar Davis is bigger, right? Like uh, yeah, a bit bigger. Amar Davis is bigger. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's bigger. Um, so he has all the traits. What worries you is the injury history, um, especially after last year with all the corners going down. And so, but you know, you're going to have, we're in the fourth round now, right? So there's always going to be some kind of yeah, yeah. knock on these guys. So right, well, you're not going to find the first round corner in the fourth. Right, round. Right. That's, that's exactly right. And the, the thing for him is he can only play on the outside. Uh, the, the two things that tell you, you can't play on the outside are one is size and the th- other is he's got a really unimpressive three cone of 726. That's about half a second worse than you'd want at, at, at corner in general, maybe maybe a third of a second. But it's it's might be as much as three quarters of a second worse than you'd really want on a slot corner or a really good slot corner. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, you might want in the in the six point six range, uh, perhaps. Anyway, you, you he's only played. 15 total college games. Now he had to wait on the bench. He played four, two games, two games, 11 games in, in his three seasons, had some injuries, didn't play in the sec championship, the national championship. So, you know, he missed some very big games, obviously in terms of doing that. He did have some decent production on the field last year in terms of intersections and, and passes defense with three and seven of those. Uh, if you want a glasses half full look at him, I think he's a high ceiling pick. Uh, he may well not see action at all in 2022, or he might he might see action due to injury. Averett played 65 snaps as a rookie. By the way, if Jalen Armour Davis plays 65 snaps for the Ravens in 2022, that's a very, very good thing. It means the Ravens don't have injuries at cornerback. I was about to say. Like yeah. I was about to say. That yeah. means that Marcus and Marlon are good to go for the whole year. Uh, and maybe we can talk about these guys back-to-back. I know he's a couple picks later, but maybe a good time to talk about sure. Williams at the same time. Uh, what you just said about uh, Amar Davis only on the outside, Demarion Williams is kind of the opposite, right? He's the feisty guy that can play in the slot, can that can play at nickel. Slot. 
Yeah, yeah. Or can only, not just can, but can only. There you go. He's like the 5'10", 180 pounds. I was listening to uh, the Lounge podcast with with Ryan and Garrett, and Ryan had interviewed uh, Demarion Williams, and he just was (laughs) – he was like, this guy, man – has also hasn't played enough or a ton, and why? Why didn't he need to get in? I think it was maybe his junior year of of high school that he started finally started to play. He's like, oh, I was playing. I was just playing street ball, like literally playing football, street ball. He said Ryan said he reminded him of um, of Young, who the Ravens just just a yep. feisty, feisty guy. So he's the smaller corner uh, that just is like attitude let's go scrap scrappy gets in there so he's your nickel guy guy armor davis is your outside guy so he's actually played 33 career games in in three seasons so he's got more than double the college experience (laughs) that armor davis had of course armor davis has been practicing with alabama so that's something very positive whereas demarion williams has been at houston Uh, the 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 problem i have two problems with him 29 and 5 8 inch arms that's pygmy short I mean, that's really yeah. short arms uh, and, and a 7.033 cone, which is very slow for a smaller corner like this. So, yeah. uh, you know, you, you really need a good three cone to play that slot. So I, I hopefully he's a guy who develops uh, some people have already pegged him to safety. And I look at that in 5'10", 183. He's not playing safety. He's, he's yeah. way too small. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, we, we if, if he were, he'd have to be a free safety probably on the back end. Do you right? remember how, how small, do you know his, the, the measurements of Corey Davis? Do you remember Corey? No, Corey Ivy. I mean, Oh, Corey Ivey was, I think, 5'9", but I'll check him out. He's one of my favorites. Uh, I just remember, I remember meeting him and, like, over in the cafeteria, and I'm like, this yeah. dude is small. And five then nine. he'd go out, go ahead, 5'9". Five 5'9", nine. Five nine, 183. Okay, so Williams is 5'10", 182. Uh, so not as thick, a little bit taller, but about the same the same uh, uh, pounds. But mm-hmm. anyway, it just, it's just like some of these guys, they figure that, that out. I don't know if Demarion Williams will become that, that kind of guy that can just be small, but I just remember Ivy making like massive plays for the oh, Ravens, yeah. massive plays, like in the red zone, in the, in the, in the end zone, knocking things down. And so, uh, there are guys that can overcome the size obviously, but that happens once in a while, yeah, <laughs> not was, very uh, often. And you, you got to be, you got to be real careful about that. But yeah. I have a tremendous playmaker, great second man of the ball, uh, had one of the really great years as a Ravens nickel in 2006. Uh, there's a lot to love about that guy. Anyway, uh, getting back to Demarion Williams though, I think he's, he stays in slot corner. He'll be in the competition. Uh, you know, they've got three guys right now that look like they could really could be in the competition today slot if they don't go outside. And I think they still will go outside. Um, but mm-hmm. they have Washington, Ardarius Washington, who I think could, could do the job well. Um, they, and he's a little bit slower, but he could do it. Demarion Williams, who, who will compete, but probably as a rookie, he'll be special teams play, makes the roster, but never makes the active game day, kind of that player. Um, and then the third guy is um, uh, the safety master, Brandon Stevens. Yes. Yeah. And, and he's he might be too big for the position, honestly. I, I kind of feel like the change of direction skills for Stevens may not be there, and he'd be better on the outside. But whatever they do with Stevens, I want them to pick a position now, and it's clearly not safety. But pick a position now, whether it's whether it's outside corner or slot corner, and let him really learn that because the guy has been Mister Everything at every level I he's know. played. Yeah, and, and he, it's I'm just afraid it's stunting his development at this point. Like the whole Phillips thing, where you kept moving Phillips back and forth, yeah. guard and tackle, or and all that kind of stuff. Get Stevens locked in somewhere, or Michael Orr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so anyway, obviously, let's let's go back and we'll we'll keep going. I'm, I know we all got to get out of here and and do other things. But around around four number one twenty eight, they pick a tight end, Charlie Kolar of Iowa State, uh, massive guy, six seven two fifty two, thirty four and a half inch arms, and still runs four sixty two. That's exciting. Seven seven oh three cone, which you you want at the top of the route, and that's very good for a, for a big tight end. Uh, he's already twenty three, not really. Sp- Special athletically, but he's good enough, very aware of zone, uh, incredible job boxing out. You watch the tape on Charlie Kolar, that's the first thing you think of is he knows where to turn his back on a defender effectively and make a play. His arms are long, very soft hands, very good hands. So I think he's going to become a, a, a target that Lamar really enjoys throwing to. Yeah, I, I like... I like that the Ravens double dipped it tight end is a strategy that seems to have worked over the years. Um, So Charlie Kolar, when I was reading um, the NFL.com scouting report, they always have a quote at the end from whoever, but they had a quote from an unnamed AFC, uh, an AFC executive. And this is before he'd even been selected by the Ravens, but he was, he had the comp. He was like, this guy is Mark Andrews is basically what he said in the sense that he's the pass catching tight end. Uh, he's, he, he had great production in college. I mean, he had over 2000 yards and so did Isaiah likely also. They were both, they both had over 2000 yards. They both had a ton of uh, touchdowns, great red zone targets. Um, Kolar is this freakishly smart guy also had a 3.99 GPA in mechanical engineering. engineering. Yeah. Yeah, Mechanical engineering. Um, So obviously just like Mark Andrews isn't coming out known as like a big blocker. Um, But, but I just love this idea of multiple tight end sense. I want it back. I need it back. Bring it to me, Ken. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very exciting what, what he can do. By the way, I, I, I do make this point because there's freakishes and there's freakish. And, and we're a little bit Big Bang Theory on the show where we have a few Sheldons come on the show. We have a bunch of PhDs that, that come on the show. And there is a difference between being John Urschel smart where you're really yes. constantly worried about, about you know, am I going to lose my mind from concussions and whatnot? And being yeah. Charlie Kohler smart, well, he'll be a fine engineer. And actually, it's, it's funny that he's an engineer because he's in the Howard class already. You know how yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. So, but but he's uh, no doubt very smart guy and, and yeah, a guy yeah. who's got a, a, a great future after football. Uh, he's he's definitely an inline guy or a flex guy. Meaning, this is not a move tight end who you use to run across the formation. He's actually a little slender for that. So you wouldn't use Mark Andrews, at least not very often, to run across the formation the way they they use Boyle and Ricard and be blocking an interior defensive lineman. Likely is more their guy for that. He's a more compact. Uh, uh, guy in those terms. At Kolar will be mostly a receiving threat. He'll either line up, as you often see a tight end, kind of leaning forward ahead of the other offensive lineman. He's obviously not going to try and pass block. He may chip a little, but also uh, lined up flexed in that in that Y slot. Okay, so let's go to Isaiah Likely real quick, just to sure. get them both out. So Isaiah, what was um, interesting is John Harbaugh said that there wasn't an obvious position fit. So he's like, he's just a playmaker. So I think the Ravens are going to experiment a little bit and he could fit at wide receiver. I sometimes wonder, I wanted to ask you about this. Could he fulfill a little bit of a Miles Boykin role, but can actually catch also um, in addition to blocking, maybe, maybe getting some of that blocking down there uh, because he's, he's a big guy. 
he's a big, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's a big guy. And so if he is like a, a wide receiver, if they use him there sometimes, you know, then maybe he could do some of that downfield blocking that Miles Boykin was known for. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned his compactness, but at 6'5", uh, 245, uh, he, he certainly is a pretty good comp for Boykin in terms of... Uh, I said Boyle. I was saying Bo- I was meaning Boykin. Did I no, say... You said, you said Boykin. Okay, just making I, sure. I, I, Sorry. And, and okay. so, you know, the Ravens not drafting an ex-receiver makes you think that, hey, maybe maybe likely is a guy could line up out there. The reason I think that maybe is a long shot is he ran a 48240. And so they've, they, the Ravens, I don't think they believe that's real or they probably wouldn't have drafted him. So there's probably was something funny about that day at his pro day where he didn't run well. He also had a 739 three cone, which is really bad. Uh, it doesn't have good measurables. The guy has much better tape than that. Looks a lot faster, by the way, on tape than 482. Uh, you know, 42, that's, that's uh, uh, Josh Bynes. That's what he ran. You know, it's just, oh. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a, you know, we're not talking wide receiver speed here. Yeah, uh, he has yeah, a yeah. Real, real wiggle at the top of his route. So he's a guy who, who can actually um, read the leverage and give a leverage cue to that opposing defensive back if you play off coverage. Uh, he's not somebody you can press, obviously, at that, at that size. or not press very effectively. But when he gets to the top of the route, you know, defensive backs are actually having trouble reacting to him. They'll be better in the NFL, but that's something. Uh, arms are kind of short for his height. Uh, I, I, I think he's a move tight end. I think the thing where we'll see more of him is he'll line up in the backfield the way you saw Hurst do a lot in 2019. Uh, he'll line up uh, perhaps as the crossing tight end where he'll make a block in the, in the uh, middle of the line on some place. I think there's a lot of things you can do with him. Uh, that it's it doesn't make it clear to the opposing defensive coordinator exactly how he's going to line up. Great. All right, so let's go back. Let's go back to Jordan Stout, which was an interesting pick because you know by King's article they they were considering Calvin uh, Austin the mm-hmm. third, okay, or Jordan Stout, the punter out of Penn State, and and uh, I think a lot of people maybe a little bit surprised that they even took a punter and it wasn't Matt Ariza, but when we saw the stats afterwards. They're ridiculous in terms of you, how good. Do Jordan you have Stout. those in front of you? I, I think I we do. both retweeted them. So, so I have in front of me. So, uh, Jordan Stout had eighty-three percent. Okay, this is of punts between the thirties. Punts between the thirties. So, they, okay. you don't want you don't want to take everybody's punts from way back on their own side of the field and try and compare those to some other some other punter. Right. But he had eighty-three percent in twenty and fifty-three percent in ten. Wow. 53%. Yeah. Uh, uh, and only 6% touchbacks with an average position, a uh, field position of the 12 yard line. That compares to Ariza, which was 63% in 20. Okay, not terrible. 27% in 10, not nearly as good, half as good. Uh, 29% touchbacks, that's terrible, five times as many. And a 16.0% average field position, so 16.0 yard line. So that's not uh, that's just that's just a big difference. I understand now why they took one. When you see Jordan Stout punt, really big leg, booming kicks, stadium high, uh, tremendous hang time, and I'm sure Ariza has a lot of that as well. Uh, it's just that he, he may have suffered from a bad punt coverage unit or from out kicking his coverage because of his really big leg that led to a lot of these additional touchbacks. Yeah, I find interesting. Um, you had brought up Ariza. I wanted to go and make sure I was saying, seeing this right, but can't find it in the moment. But anyway, so I had gotten questions, which I wasn't prepared to answer just yet, about why the Ravens selected him over Ariza. I think that I immediately, when I saw that those stats that you just put out, um, 
that I think helps paint a little bit of a picture. But what I found more interesting is again in Peter King's, yep, here he says, he goes, they had a one punter prospect class. Mm-hmm. So, oh, now it's bringing up the, four, the music there. Sorry. Four were taken. Four were taken. Um, and so, so I find, found that interesting because everybody else saw them arise of being like the main guy. Why was it stout just like a little bit better or, uh, you know, it seemed to be a lot better because as Peter King is saying, it was like, that was the only one they maybe felt like was draftable. Um, so it seemed like a big lead in the, in the Ravens eyes. Yeah. And it's, I think when you look at this, I don't know what, I, I believe Peter King's story when he says it was a one draft class, but the reason it's obvious the Ravens like him so much is because they didn't take him with their last fourth round picks. So mm-hmm. they're doing with, they're doing with other competing needs. So dealing mm-hmm. with, you know, we need a second cornerback and that's when they got Damian Williams, or maybe we need a running back or, or right receiver. Isaiah, Isaiah likely was <laughs> taken after him, you know, yeah. so, so they had, to, they had to make choices about who, and it was, it was not a sign, unsignificant weight because they were picking at 130 and they had to wait to 139 and 141 for the next two picks. Mm-hmm. So the Ravens said, okay, we'll take Stout now because we yeah. think he's the most likely. And sure enough at 130, and they made a start at this cavalcade, but they, but 133, the Tampa Bay took a punter. And then I think it's 136 or 138 or something. Somebody else took a punter, but I have to go back and look at it. Um, Camerata was taken at 133 by Tampa Bay. And let's see, Matt Ariza at 180. And then was there one more guy, like a guy named Gill or something? Yeah, Trenton Gill at 255. So there are four punters in total taken. So it's really Camerata was the other guy they were dealing with. So do you know much about, did you... Uh, look at Calvin Austin the third much before. Do you know much about him? No, honestly, no. And and the wide receivers in general, I did a lot of under prep on and yeah. what they did. So so I've got the. So did the, I. Yeah. So it, I I don't know that I can make a good judgment about whether Stout or Austin would have been the better choice. But you know, it sounded like the Ravens were kind of bummed that they missed out on him. Uh, you know, it took a punter. It's obviously it's one of these drafts where. Uh, it's a big question. You're gonna you're gonna have some questions to answer for Lamar about about how things are gonna get better in terms of a wide receiver. Well, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, they obviously have to address it. He's got five months to do it, mm-hmm. um, so he will 100% get a an experienced veteran in here. Uh, the quality of that is what I don't know, but I do find it interesting because he doesn't always offer that up. But he brought up quickly that. He talked a lot about trades. He talked a lot about trades um, saying, you know, there's going to be opportunities. People are going to be calling us, you know, so, so we'll see. Um, anyway, that's a different podcast about the options there at wide receiver, but uh, he will be adding veteran experience, no doubt. Right. I, I think, you know, one of the things we can, we can honestly say is that typically has not worked out very well for the Ravens. The, the vets they've gotten have been. Uh, I feel so like it's been a mixed bag. I don't, I think it's been a mixed bag. I mean, you've got you go back to Mason, you go to uh, Steve Smith. Was Mason uh, a trade, or, or was he a free agent? He might have been a free agent, and I'm I'm just forgetting. I but, thought he was a free agent, but I could be wrong. Sure, uh, you know, was I know. A trade. Obviously, Bolden was a trade. Yeah, mm-hmm. Steve Smith was a signing. Uh, then you had Mike. What's his bucket from the Steelers? That didn't turn out great. Mike Wallace. Yeah, Mike Wallace. <laughs> um, and then Macklin was a. 
you know, yeah. so, so it's been a, I think it's been a mixed bag. Um, well, if, if, you know, it's like there was, I'll tell the story, you know, it was a limited payoff. The, the, the family guy came back on the air after a long time off, maybe two, three years off. And, and they said, uh, Hey, look, it looks like they're going to put the family guy back on the air. And, 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 and they said they had to name all the shows that had to fail. And he says, maybe if every one of those shows fails, yeah. you know, then we'd be back on the air. And they named this incredible long list of terrible shows, you know, Titus and dark angel and all these things that were out for like that long. <laughs> you just couldn't help but laugh for the entire list. And, and that's what you do when you look at the Ravens list of wide rec- of free agent wide receivers. And you look at Frank Sanders and uh, even Marcus Robinson, who certainly had a good, a great game against Seattle, but, but it wasn't that exciting. And, and this, the list is just incredible of the guys. I think you have to include Sammy Watkins in that group as a guy who didn't really work out, even though he made a couple couple big plays, one in Detroit, one against the Bears. You know, uh, yeah. I still probably would say that didn't work out as a yeah. As a, uh, yeah. As a bit. But anyway, we'll we'll yeah. uh, we'll talk about that another time. Let's go to the last pick of the draft because I was actually very excited by this pick, and we just covered the fourth round on Saturday. But then I got back on and and I saw this guy's pick, and I thought. This is a really good one. So round six at number 196, they take Tyler Beatty of Missouri, uh, running back. Uh, 5'8", 197, very small, powerful, powerful runner. He's elusive, but he runs through tackles with very short steps. You see, you think back to the way Jamal Lewis used to have short steps. Jamal mm, Lewis much bigger. He really did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but uh, Tyler Beatty runs through his short steps. And uh, to me, he's a resetting of the clock on the Justin Hill pick with a yeah. player who's bigger, more powerful, probably will be a better receiver at the NFL level. Uh, yeah, his stats on the receiving, uh, I just had those. 54 balls for 330 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, I didn't renew my PFF uh uh, subscription, subscription. Yeah. Yeah. but uh every every time i watch highlights of Beatty, he's like breaking tackles yeah. and uh, you know as you said he's not he's not the smallest but he's also not the biggest and i'm just wondering what his, his what his uh tackle breaking rate is um is it just that i saw some highlights that he does it a lot or is this something that he can do uh pretty frequently but it's so much fun to watch him just like spin out of guys or just break out of guys or stiff arm guys or just like all these different moves to break tackles. And I'm like, yes, bring it to me. And like you said, you said it earlier when you were talking about Linderbaum, can we bring back the running back screen and, you know, get him some passes outside and Linderbaum and a few guys blocking up, up the field. Yeah. So first of all, really appreciate you trying to translate that to a rate statistic. And I should have thought to do it. Normally I'm the rate guy. It's like, no, tell, oh. me, how, tell me the rate per, yeah, what's, what's yeah. his batting average? You know, it's pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. That's what we need to know. But, but Sarah, right on top of it there, thank you for that. <laughs> um, he had uh, 126 college catches, 9.1 yards per reception, which is really good for a running back, 11 touchdowns, 8.7%. So there was, there was a back earlier in the draft who had something like 73 college catches, but only one touchdown. And that really bothered me as like, that's not a particularly elusive back that they could have been always passing the ball behind the line of scrimmage and telegraphing it. And, you know, the quarterback maybe bears some of the blame, but Tyler Beatty is much closer to Darren Sproles as a player who, you know, will get out into the open and, and be very elusive and dangerous. And you got to be something of a tackle breaker. And more than that of an elusive player to have that kind of a good touchdown rate, 
uh, even even in the Big 12, which is not known for its defense. <laughs> yeah. So he, he'd be a good compliment, right? A good compliment yeah. to Dixon, to Gus, and uh, probably can beat for number three. I imagine he would win it. Yeah. He's got to do some special teams also. Uh, but, but that yeah, I think he's a nice little addition that, that complements the other guys. It only fumbled twice in college, and a 445-40 to me is is one of the big needs is filled. That he really is a speed back as well, and the Ravens need a guy who can threaten the outside, so that when they want to use a three headed play, meaning you you want to completely misdirect the defense, and the Ravens feasted off that in 19 and 20 both in terms of their run game, uh, they'll have the option to do that. And that last year. Obviously, with the elder statesman running backs they brought in, they didn't have that kind of a speed option to the outside who really who really threatened there. Yeah. So just real quick, Ken, biggest needs coming out of the draft. You got them ranked? I got them ranked. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, still edge, still wide receiver. Those two, I, I, I think I could go in either order on them. Uh, I might say wide receiver is higher than edge right now, which is incredible for me. Yeah, I'd put wide receiver one, edge two. I think they'll – I mean – Justin Houston, I guess somebody else, but Justin Houston makes so much sense. And then three, I would put, um, shoot, I have this written down. Corner. Yeah, I have corner. Yeah. So that cornerback room is still short, and, and in, mm. in particular, it's short on slot depth. Very unusual. The Ravens always collect aircraft carriers, and they, and they don't have a slot cornerback right now, but they have three guys who really should be playing on the outside. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. They'll get it. Sarah, always a pleasure doing this show or any show with you. And we planned on doing an hour and it's an hour and 22 and counting. So uh, <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let this run out. But Sarah, I love talking football with you. I hope we can do this a lot more often. Uh, any new, first of all, where can talk, people talk football with you? Uh, Twitter at SG Ellison. Okay. Any, any new projects, things on the horizon you're thinking about? Because we will definitely have you on this show as often as you want to come. Uh, nothing to announce yet. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> other folks out there, if you're looking to uh, jump on the show and do a pod about the draft, about franchise building, about offense or defense, perfect time to hit me up. Uh, DMs are open on, on Twitter. I love to hear from you. And I get back to you very quickly uh, about that. I also look around on the board sometimes and try and find people who uh, have an interesting idea that they've posted somewhere and I'll try to get to them. But don't wait for me to find you. Hit me up and, and, and we'll do a show. Anyway, uh, Sarah, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. It's always fun. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.